our little series in Jeremiah, Gospel Jewels from Jeremiah, will be continued after Easter. As I said at the start of the new year, uh, we're going to return now to Mark's Gospel because we're in Mark chapter 15, which is the dawning of Good Friday, and we are hoping to try and time the events in this climax, really, in the Gospel with the Easter period. So I don't know if we'll manage that. So God willing, in the next few weeks, we will finish Mark's Gospel and then we will return to Jeremiah. So that's just to let you know uh, what we're trying to do. And we have come now to Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate. And the last time we were in this gospel, Jesus had a religious trial. That was during the night uh, before Good Friday, when he had to stand before the Sanhedrin, uh, the Jewish religious council. And in uh, the beginning of chapter 15, we have his civic trial, uh, his trial before the secular Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And I'm sure most of us are aware of the accounts. And we're going to read now, uh, just to remind ourselves of the details, uh, from chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Mark 15, the first verse. Immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. That was the Sanhedrin trial, the religious trial. And then they bound Jesus, led him away and delivered him to Pilate, that is Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. Then Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, it is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you? But Jesus still answered nothing so that Pilate marveled. Now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be 
crucified. Kent Hughes, no relation, says this. The most infamous trial in history, a weird and twisted thing that began before Pilate's, the Roman politician, the careerist Roman politician, then detoured to Herod, the half-Jew puppet king, and finally returned to Pilate's, where the awful judgment was rendered. Why did they call it Good Friday? There was nothing seemingly good about what was going to happen on this terrible day. There's one word that comes to my mind, and this is the word I want to use this morning, about this trial, and it's unbelievable. You know? You sometimes witness something, and you just cannot believe that that is allowed to happen. Unbelievable. Now, I want to give you three reasons why this trial before Pilate's is unbelievable. And in these reasons, we will have the core message of Christianity. Now, the first thing that's unbelievable here is the abuse that Jesus Christ is suffering. Now then, what do I mean by that? Well, he's just been put before the religious authorities on trial and they, without giving him a fair trial, already decided that they were going to put him to death. But in uh, New Testament times, uh, the Jewish authorities were not allowed to execute people. Only the Romans, who really ruled Palestine, were able to do that. So they had to take him to Pilate then. Now, Pilate normally lived in Caesarea, which is up the coast. You can see uh, Pilate's palace today, uh, quite an amazing sight uh, on the edge of the Mediterranean. But during the Passover feast, which is what this was, uh, Pilate came to Jerusalem. So he was uh, at court, as it were, and these religious rulers bring Jesus to him for one reason, in order to get him to be put to death. Now, this is pure and simple abuse. Jesus had not been given a fair trial. And to make matters worse, what the religious leaders accused Jesus of was blasphemy. That was the worst crime in their laws. But Roman law, which is what Pilate is standing for, did not care for blasphemy. It, it wasn't anything in Roman law. But what Roman law denounced more than anything else was treason for anybody to claim that they were the king instead of Caesar. That was punishable by death. So these religious leaders are so abusive because they're like snakes, you know? Uh, they're two-tongued, forked tongues. They don't believe that Jesus is the king of the Jews. But they can't bring a charge of blasphemy against Jesus uh, to Pilate because Pilate would tell them to go away. So what they do is bring a charge of treason. And they say to Pilate, he has said he's the king of the Jews. 
And they're doing that, not because they believe it, but because they want to use it against Jesus so that Pilate would put him to death. Isn't that terrible? From religious leaders. The Sanhedrin was supposed to represent the law of Moses. The holy, righteous, just God. And this is how they are acting when they have God himself before them. Unbelievable abuse. Now, if you read the account in John's gospel, it's worse, right? It gets worse. When these religious leaders brought Jesus to Pilate, they themselves would not enter the praetorium, uh, the place where Pilate tried Jesus. That's what it says in John. Because they, the religious leaders, didn't want to defile themselves. They didn't want to make themselves ceremonially unclean. Dear me. <laughs> they are so fussy about maintaining uh, the uh, outward traditions which they had come up with, their list of rules. They're scrupulous in avoiding contaminating themselves. We can imagine them, can't we? Uh, taking the Lord Jesus and being, oh, ever so careful that they don't tread over uh, the uh, threshold, as it were, of P uh, Pilate's judgment hall. And yet in their hearts, they are wanting to murder God. That, that, that's the worst sin ever. It's called deicide, to murder God. You can't do it, so course but that is what they're planning in their hearts and you know Pilate was too wily a politician uh, not to notice all of this that is going on uh, it says in verse 10 Pilate knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy he knew that Jesus uh, wasn't an insurrectionist Pilate knew that Jesus wasn't trying to take over from him and Herod. Pilate knew that Jesus was a religious teacher. And Pilate was told, again in John's accounts, by Jesus himself, my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate realized this man is innocent. This man poses no danger to Roman law. Unbelievable, unbelievable abuse. The, the actual trial is quite complicated. Uh, let me just mention the details, just so that we know what's going on. Pilate sees through the machinations of the Jewish leaders. He sees that this is abuse. So, when he hears that Jesus is from Galilee... He then says, ah, Herod is the one who controls Galilee, so I'll send Jesus to Herod. <laughs> Can you see what he's doing? He's, he's trying to move the problem to Herod. But then Herod, who is just as uh, crafty as Pilate, <laughs> can't get anything out of Jesus. So Herod just sends Jesus back uh, to Pilate. You have that in Luke's account. And then poor Pilate's. He knows Jesus is innocent, 
And as a Roman lawyer, he wants to uphold justice. And he does not want to condemn an innocent man. Uh, So he's got a dilemma. The crowd who have been uh, manipulated by the religious leaders, uh, they, they want Jesus to be done away with. They want him to be crucified. And Pilate doesn't want a riot on his hands either. So what does he do? Well, it was customary uh, on the Passover feast uh, for the crowd to be able to choose a prisoner to be released. And so Pilate gives them a choice, thinking it's a no-brainer. They're bound to ask that Jesus be released. He's innocent. He, he's a religious teacher. But instead, the crowd opt for Barabbas, who is a terrorist. And unbelievable unbelievable do you see that when you look at christianity just christianity now as it is portrayed in the world do you just shake your head and say unbelievable blaise pascal a famous french philosopher he said anything is justified if it is done in the name of God. Anything is justified. Hasn't history proved that? Not just with the Sanhedrin wanting to commit murder and yet thinking that because they're doing it in God's name, they are on the right side. Think of the Spanish Inquisition. Have you ever read about the Spanish Inquisition uh, many centuries ago? The cruelty that uh, was done in the name of Christianity, the torture that people had to be put through, or think closer to our own times, to some of the conflicts that have occurred in the name of religion, not just other religions, but the Christian religion. Uh, The conflict in Northern Ireland comes to mind. People using the name of Jesus Uh, in order to justify all kinds of violence. And maybe you are put off Christianity as a result. Or maybe uh, you are put off Christianity because of the sea, uh, of the way you see sometimes uh, even people who call themselves Christians behaving. Unbelievable. Let me tell you, that's not Christianity. (laughs) It's not the religion of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus' statements to Pilate is just as true today. My kingdom is not of this world. I'm not a political leader, he's saying to them. When Christianity and politics get mixed up, that's not what I'm about, Jesus of Nazareth says. Unbelievable abuse. Unbelievable Let's move on. I've got some more important points, the second points. We don't want to stay on the abuse. <laughs> Look at Jesus' response to this. What, what did Jesus do? This is the greatest miscarriage of justice ever. And what did Jesus have to say? Well, when Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? All Jesus said was, you say I am. He firmly answered him. But what Jesus really did was hold his peace. Uh, We are told in the reading that we had, 
Jesus answered nothing. In Matthew's account, it's even stronger. Jesus answered him, not a word, not a word. Silence, silence. This is unbelievable. Unbelievable that a man who is innocent did not open his mouth. To defend himself. And when you add to that, and this is what is really unbelievable, that Jesus wasn't just innocent of these charges, but that Jesus Christ is unique as a person. He's the only human being ever to have been completely innocent, right? No other person has that kind of record. His slate is completely clean. Jesus of Nazareth, born into this world 2,000 years ago, wasn't just a man. He's the God-man. The Jews uh, were looking for a Messiah, somebody that God would send. And this is what is unbelievable here. When their Messiah actually came, they rejected him and tried to put him to death. Unbelievable, unbelievable, the silence of Jesus Christ. Now, what's striking here, right, is that this is actually fulfilling many prophecies from centuries before. Many, many prophecies. When we looked at the gospel in Genesis, we came across this prophecy. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. The scepter is a sign of rule. The scepter shall not depart from Judah and the lawgiver from between his feet till Shiloh, that's a name for the Messiah, shall come. What had happened in New Testament times? the scepter had departed from Israel. It was the Romans who were in control. So now that the Jews had no authority, really, Silo, the Messiah, had finally come. I, I really find that amazing. Uh, here's what Krumacher says, a German commentator, about the silence of the Messiah. The God-man standing before this puppet, puppet ruler. The words he uttered, the silence he observed, his look and his whole bearing, his humility, his sublime composure, the dignity of Emmanuel, God with us shines nowhere did jesus's kingship shine as much as when he stood before pilots his silence his silence i think speaks louder than words another prophecy is being fulfilled do you know which prophecy we had a reading from isaiah 55 in isaiah 53 You've got maybe the most famous prophecy of all regarding the death of Jesus Christ. He was oppressed, verse 7, and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. Oh, his silence is unbelievable. The fact that these religious leaders who knew their scriptures inside out, they were experts in the law. 
they knew that prophecy and here before their very eyes stands their Messiah stands the Lamb of God who is about to take away the sin of the world and he to the nth degree to the smallest of details is fulfilling these prophecies and they don't see it unbelievable do you see it do you see it why was he silent two reasons for his unbelievable silence it was because he's innocent an innocent man doesn't have to defend himself do you know what Pilate said now Pilate, remember is the Roman governor many of our laws today are based on uh, Roman laws as well as Ju uh, Judeo-Christian laws but it's generally uh, held that Roman law was one of the best that this world could offer right that's the best justice that man can offer and that justice says in another one of the accounts I find no faults in this man that wasn't just for the sake of the Jewish uh, leaders and the crowd this is for the whole world even us 2,000 years later to hear innocence this man is completely innocent he's standing before God's justice as it were he's had the religious trial and he's innocent he's standing now before the world's best justice system and he's innocent Peter where was Peter at this time Peter had denied him Peter was weeping and Peter was writing years later about this he committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth who when he was reviled did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously J.C. Ryle puts it like this great is the contrast between Jesus the second Adam and the first Adam our first parents our first father Adam was guilty and do you remember what he did when God found him out and he tried to excuse himself you remember what he did in the garden he didn't blame himself he blamed his wife nothing has changed is it he blamed his wife and then she blamed the devil the devil made me do it the second Adam was innocent and he didn't excuse himself he didn't say a word he didn't say a word so that's the first thing his unbelievable silence shows he's innocent but then <laughs> this is why it's unbelievable <laughs> I can't get my mind around the gospel right his silence also shows that he's guilty now Doma asked me to explain those two things he's innocent in and of himself and yet he's guilty I've called him the second Adam now that's a theological term what does that mean well it simply means this the first Adam and the first Adam was representing all of us disobeyed God fell and we all then because he was representing us fell in him that's why there is sin in the world that's why we will have to die and that's why there is judgments 
So just as in a rugby team, uh, Wales have been playing well recently, apparently. And when Wales wins, we say, we've won. We weren't playing, were we? And when Wales loses, we say with glum faces, we've lost, even though we weren't on the pitch. And so when our first parents, the first Adam, failed, we failed. And that's why we're in this mess that we need to be saved from. But this is the gospel. This is why Jesus is innocent and guilty. God sent him, the second Adam, actually the last Adam, because he was going to succeed. And where the first Adam failed, and all of us in him, Jesus Christ won, and he won resoundedly. Let me give you another illustration from rugby. Um, if a player misbehaves, breaks the rules in rugby, he's put in the sin bin, isn't he? The sin bin. This is the gospel. We have failed. We've broken the rules. And we are not put in the sin bin. The one God sends as our substitutes, who keeps the law and his innocence, he goes into the sin bin. He's already in the sin bin when he's standing before Pontius Pilate because the innocent one is also standing as the guilty one. But soon he's going to go right into the sin bin. He's going to go to that cross and he's going to take upon himself on that cross all the sin that you and I deserve to be punished for. All our sins. And you know what? That is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, one of our young people, he's a pastor in Paris now, and he trained in Westminster in Philadelphia. And he went to a very famous church, 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. And 10th Presbyterian Church had a missionary in India. And this missionary witnessed uh, the Hindus sacrificing different animals uh, for their religious ceremonies. And he saw uh, one lamb, one lamb, a white lamb presented for sacrifice. And he writes, this is what he wrote uh, in an email uh, to the church. It was a missionary letter like we have. As I watched everything unfolding from my perch atop a large boulder beside the temple, I directed my attention for some time to this poor little lamb and thought I'd never seen anything that looked so pure, so innocent and so gentle. What made it all the more profound and relevant was the particularly nasty treatment of this same creature. And that's what really got me. It was so like how it was indeed with our Lord. The most pure and innocent and gentle, enduring the most terrible misuse and mistreatment and death. Pushed about, surrounded, roughly handled, and frightfully killed. They hacked his head off. They threw its lifeless body on the bloody ground. My God, is this not powerful? Powerful. From this, can we not grasp even a little of what he, the spotless Lamb of God, Jesus, undertook? The horrible, frightful anguish he endured, not for uh, himself, but for our sakes. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Unbelievable, yes, but hallelujah, what a saviour. Guilty, vile, and helpless, we 
but spotless Lamb of God is He. Full atonement. Yes, He has made the sacrifice. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Can it be? Hallelujah, hallelujah. What a saviour. Who himself bore our sins, wrote Peter, in his own body on the tree. Have, have you seen it? Do you have an unbelievable in your heart? Not just because of the abuse, but because this was for you, for me. Amazing love, said Wesley. How can it be unbelievable that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? I'm a wretch. Let's be honest, we're all sinful wretches. But he went to the sin bin so that we could be set free. Unbelievable. And then very quickly, because we are COVID aware, in the light of all of this, Pontius Pilate is unbelievable in his stupidity, in his indecision. Now, we must try and understand Pontius Pilate being neutral here because he was the judge. But having had evidence that this man had done nothing wrong, and he had said that himself several times, Pontius Pilate could not remain on the fence. And when he asked the crowd, what do you want me to do with Jesus? Pilate really should have known the answer himself. Jesus should be released. I'm glad he didn't. <laughs> Otherwise, there'd be no hope for us. See how God is using even the evil of men to bring his purposes to pass, to bring this wonderful gospel to us. Uh, Wearsby says, Pilate's problem was that he lacked the courage to stand up for what he believed in. Pilate did not ask, is it right, but is it popular? Is that you this morning? Is that you? You only want to do what will cause you to be cool. Instead of doing what is right, even if it makes you unpopular. Becoming a Christian has never been popular what will you do with Jesus that's the question you know there are things uh, where it's right to be neutral uh, it is right to sit on the fence in all sorts of issues but there are certain things where it's definitely not right I'm glad that Winston Churchill didn't sit on the fence when the Nazis were coming into power he took the right side. And my friend, greater than Churchill, said 2,000 years ago, he that is not for me is against me. That's what Jesus said. You cannot be neutral when it comes to Jesus Christ. You must choose one or the other. If you're not for him, then you're against him. Pilate trying to wash his hands of Jesus meant that he was in reality against him. When I was first converted many, many years ago, I started listening to Bob Dylan because I'd heard that he was a saved Christian. And I came across this song where he said, you've got to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord. 
but you've got to serve somebody. And as I was listening, I heard another song, and he said this, or sang it, or tried to sing it. You've either got faith, or you've got unbelief, and there ain't no neutral ground. There ain't no neutral ground. What will you, what will I do with Jesus? You see, these people looking on think that it's Jesus who is standing trial, but actually... Actually, it is Pontius Pilate who is standing trial. It is the religious leaders who is standing trial. It is the crowd who is standing trial. And it is you and I who are standing trial in the end. And the question of questions is the question that Pilate asked, what will you do with Jesus? A.B. Simpson, uh, he founded the denomination that Tozer was a minister of, Christian and Missionary Alliance. He wrote these words, Jesus is standing in Pilate's hall, friendless and removed from all. Listen to the sorry call, Pilate's. What shall I do with Jesus? What shall I do with Jesus? Neutral, I cannot be. And someday my heart will be asking, what will he, Jesus, do with me? You know, Pilate was a careerist politician. He wanted to be popular. And you know what? In trying to be popular, he lost his job. A few years after this, he was sacked. And you know what he did with himself? He killed himself. He made the wrong choice. What will you do with Jesus? Simpson goes on to say, Jesus is standing on trial still. You can be false to him if you will. You can be faithful through good or ill. What will you do with Jesus? Will you evade him in, as Pilate tried? Or will you choose him, whate'er betide? Vainly you struggle from him to hide. What will you do with Jesus? There's only one response. Jesus, I give thee my heart today. Jesus, I'll follow thee all the way, gladly obeying thee. Will you say, this I will do with Jesus? And you will not regret it. It's not as if we choose Jesus in our own strength. He chooses us. But you know what I mean when I say, choose whom you will serve this day. If you choose Jesus Christ, if you say, I'm going to trust him now completely for my salvation, I'm not going to depend on my own works, and I'm going to bow the knee to him, I'm going to follow him, and I'm not going to be popular, it's going to be tough. But listen, my friend, you will find that even though you don't set your heart on it, that there is blessing after blessing in following Jesus Christ. But if you don't choose Jesus Christ, even if you're doing it politely, you are refusing him. And in the end, your path, maybe not as spectacular as Pilate's, your path will lead to everlasting destruction. As Dylan said in another Christian song, I don't mind the pain. 
don't mind the driving rain. I know that you will sustain. Because I believe in you. Do you believe in Jesus Christ this morning? That's the most important issue of all. And you know what? There's another unbelievable. It's unbelievable when we believe in him that he should accept us. It's unbelievable that when we believe in him that through thick and thin he should keep us. And it's unbelievable that when we follow him that we are still here. As a Welsh singer put it, David Iwan, in Iyama or Heed, we're still here. Ergwetha Pauba Popeth, in spite of everything, we are still here because he has chosen us. May the trial of Jesus Christ make us realize that it's not him who is on trial, but every one of us. And the only question is, what will you do with Jesus? Now, we haven't got A.B. Simpson's hymn in our hymn collection, uh, but we are going to sing a hymn I've quoted from, and we're very familiar with it. Uh, Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Uh, So please don't sing out loud, sing in your hearts, and we will stand uh, to do this grand hymn justice.
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, the spotless Lamb of God, the iniquity of us all. We just praise thee, Father, for thine unbelievable grace and love in Jesus Christ. And that every one of us here this morning is being offered an eternal uh, and a blessed uh, kingdom in Jesus Christ. Oh, may we choose him and in choosing him, choose life. And now may that grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.